that, Lord, you be Lord and King of my life. That the Lord asked us to be baptized in water. There's a special thing about being water baptized. And the Lord asked us to wait and tarry until we be clothed with power from on high. That we be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And these things are core starting things for every Christian. Not something that advanced Christians get. But first time Christians get this. And we went through scriptures of how in Acts... The baptism of the Holy Spirit was something expected. People had been baptized in water but had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John went and ministered the Holy Spirit. And Paul went and ministered the Holy Spirit at Ephesus. And all these people had been saved and water baptized but had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all of these apostles said, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And they laid hands on them and they received. So this was the basic equipping of the saints I'm probably going to say this little piece every time we get together because I want to make sure everybody feels comfortable to walk right up to the Lord and make sure they're equipped in this way. And when we talk about the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord and King. And the kingdom of God is talked about extensively in Scripture. And this is really the second talk that we're having on the kingdom. I think I can finish everything up in this talk, but it's talk number two. But when Jesus preached, the Bible says he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus ministered, it was Jesus as the Savior of the world and as our Lord and King that is the good news of the kingdom of God. And last time we mentioned that not only is that good news and not only is it good tidings of great joy, but it's serious good news and it's important good news. It's not something that we can take lightly and play games with God. God is serious. One of the things that's hard to translate in the Old Testament is when it talks about the fear of the Lord. And some people will translate it the fear of the Lord, and other people will say it's a reverential awe. But God is so great and so holy that to come in contact with Him puts a reverential awe or fear within you. Remember the children of Israel at Sinai when they got the Ten Commandments and the Lord directly spoke to them. And the first message of the children of Israel to Moses was, do not let God speak to us again. It is too terrifying. To hear His voice was too terrifying. That was not to see His face, but just to hear His voice was too terrifying. God is absolutely holy. And when He has come to give His Son... And for his son to take the punishment for sin, but more than take the punishment for sin, to be the one to mold us into his own image, for Jesus to mold me and to mold you into his image, and for him to complete all things that were fitting for righteousness, for God to do that is seriously important. It's not an interesting thing to talk about. It is what God did, and we need... To recognize it's tremendously good news, but it's very serious and very important. In Romans 1, Paul says that the world can see God through the creation. And the world knew that there was a creator because of what they could see in creation. In Psalms it says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Well, you know, if I was to, if I was to get one of you onto a really fast spaceship... And I mean a fast spaceship. I'll put John Holt on this really fast spaceship. If I was to take John Holt and give him a spaceship that could travel at the speed of light, 
So the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second means you say 1,001, and light goes around the earth more than seven times. So you say 1,001, it went around seven times. That's fast. Not 186,000 miles per hour, 186,000 miles per second. If I took John Holt and I put him in this rocket ship that went 186,000 miles per second and I put him on the edge of the Milky Way and I said, John, take off and just keep going until you get to the other edge of the Milky Way. And he's traveling 186,000 miles per second at the speed of light. It would take John 106,000 years just to get to the other edge of our galaxy. 106,000 years going that fast. Our minds cannot perceive just the Milky Way. We cannot hold it in our minds. But the Milky Way is only one of about 300 billion galaxies in the universe. 300 billion. And we behold the heavens, and one of the things it does is it blows out our mind. You cannot behold the heavens and walk around and then say, I'm a really big cheese. I am really important. You behold the heavens, you walk back thinking, glory to God. I am not big in the universe. And I'm only big because Jesus cares for me. And that's what makes me big. But I am not big in the universe. And I am not smart. And I am not wise like God, for we are not. The Bible says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now, in Romans, when he says that that heavenly showing shows us there's a creator, it says that God did that to make us turn and know there's a creator and to seek him out. But those that knew he was there and decided to worship that which was created rather than the creator... He said, God said he would have none of that. And he darkened their minds. He said, if you're not going to choose to look unto me, then if you're going to choose to look with what you make of your own hands out of wooden carvings and what I have created and worship the ground and the sun, if you're going to do those things, I'm going to darken your minds because I've shown you and you know there's a creator and you don't come after me. You see, God is serious. He's got serious good news, but he's serious and he's holy, and he's majestic, and in his presence can be frightful because of his majesty. Now, this is a complicated thing. You've got God, and the Bible says in Psalms, that God stoops down to behold the heavens. Okay, so we've got 300 billion galaxies that John Holt is spending hundreds of thousands of years going through a few of them, the Bible says God stoops down just to behold that. That's so far below his feet. That's our God. We don't have the majesty and the wonder of God in our heart. And the enemy will constantly try to minimize our vision of Jesus and the Father so that we consider them optional or we consider them to be considered but can be vetoed. And we do not consider them holy. But God is holy. Now this was a big deal. Starting in the, in the Old Testament, when God created Adam and Eve, one of the great things God did is that God created us. And I want to kind of talk through a session here on God's heart. 
And I want to talk about God's heart. God makes a big deal about the heart. He makes a big deal about our heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, For man judges by the outside appearance, but God judges the heart. People look at you and say, How do you dress? What do you look like? What are your knowledge, skills, and abilities? And based on that, I'm going to value you a certain amount. God doesn't do that. God looks right through your external appearance, right into your heart, and he judges the heart. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The people whose heart is after God are the ones that will see God. Jesus said, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, which is God's way, for you shall be satisfied. It's not something that has to do with our knowledge, skills, and abilities, or our physical appearance. And thank God it's not. But it has to do with our heart. It says in Romans 10, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the heart. God looks at the heart. He's not interested. I, I tell different people at different times, if God can talk through Balaam's donkey, he can use you. It has nothing to do with your native knowledge, skills, and ability. He uses donkeys. It's not an issue to God. But what is an issue to God is where is our heart? Where is our heart? And I want to start by talking about God's heart, though. The first thing God did that was such a loving and wonderful thing was he created man and woman. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He chose to do that because he loved them. And he created man and woman. And when they were created in the garden, God, God created a place for them that was marvelous. I would like to go back to the garden. We're not going back there, I can see, anytime shortly. But what a wonderful thing that God did. And when he opened up to man, did you notice that what he said to man was very interesting? You can eat of every tree except for this one. And don't even touch this tree or eat of it. But you can eat of everything else. God gave them incredibly wide latitude. And then what was the first thing that the enemy did? The first thing that the enemy did is he came in and he said, can you eat of every tree in the garden? And Eve said, well, we can eat of every tree of this one. God said, don't eat of this one, because when you eat of this one, you will surely die. And Satan's first words about that were, you will not die, but you will become as God. You see, Satan rebelled against God, and the big temptation that he wanted to put on God's creation was to rebel against God and to consider themselves as approachable to the level of God, that they could be equal with God. And his first big temptation was, you will be as God. And Adam and Eve fell for that temptation. Well, you know, God is altogether holy. He took them out of the garden. He didn't cast them out and just forget about them, but he took them from the special place where they were close to him and had experienced him in a very special way and knew the blessing of God. 
And for those of you who don't know, earth is not the garden. We do not have things here the way it was in the garden. But God did not throw man away. But we shared this verse last week. I love this verse, 2 Samuel 14, 14, the second half. For God devises plans to rescue the banished one that he may not be cut off from him. God devised plans to rescue men and women. And when we came, God worked through every single person. And if you read through the Bible, God is always reaching out, reaching down, touching individuals, trying to call them to him. All through the Old Testament, God is trying to bless his creation. You know, sometimes I, I think of all the things that happened in the Bible, and you think of the law, and I know some people have strong things to say about, well, the law this and the law that, but God's intention was to bless his people. I want to read a couple of verses that come out of Deuteronomy. When the Lord was bringing them into the promised land in Deuteronomy 6, he talked about it and he said, And it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. When the Lord brought people into the promised land, he went and did the battle in front of them, so he won the victory. Then he gave them things that they didn't make as theirs. He intended to bless. The Lord created three feasts, and he said, I want you to follow these three feasts. In a year, each year, these three feasts would be repeated. But with every feast that he created, the Lord said, when you come to that feast, bring your offering, and what I want you to do is, and this is a very interesting word, he said, what I want you to do is rejoice. That's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice with me at the feast. And he said, it is to be a time of tremendous joy. So we had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Weeks, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. And every feast was to be a time of great joy. And the Lord was really interesting because he said, and I'm just going to quote one verse in Deuteronomy 16, 11, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, the Levite within your town, the stranger the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. That's a party with everyone invited. God says, you come, bring the offering, and everyone associated with you, I want you to rejoice because you're with me. And I'm going to bless you, and I am blessing you. And from the very beginning, God meant there to be tremendous blessing from his presence with us. But Jesus talked over and over again about how the Lord extended, but how people would not. And he said of Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you under my wings as a mother hen. 
but you would not. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. But God came and he brought his presence, he brought his prophets, he brought the leaders, he brought tremendous blessing, but he is holy and you cannot just separate yourself from God and say, I'd like to take the blessing, but I'm not interested in really talking to the holy God. It doesn't work that way. And God was very faithful when he mentioned when these blessings would come, what would happen if we went the other way. And he said, if you don't do the things that I say, if you don't come unto me, then there is a curse. And those of you that know, you, when you read Deuteronomy 28, the first 13 of verses of Deuteronomy 28 sound absolutely tremendous. I've just got some highlights here that I want to read. But the Lord says, Now it shall be, if you obey the Lord your God and obey His commandments, the Lord will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. There's only city and country, by the way. I don't know what the ocean is, but blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, and the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land that the Lord gives you. And he goes on, I love this part, he will make you the head and not the tail. I love that part. He will make you the head and not the tail. He will lift you above all nations. Boy, you read this verse and you're pulling for the Israelites and you're going, get your act together. This is the way to go. Don't botch this. Look what the Lord will do. And those first 13 verses are tremendous blessing. You cannot list blessings out better than this. Tremendous blessings. In the rest of the chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, the rest of chapter 28 in Deuteronomy is, but if you forsake the Lord, it's going to be this way. I'm not going to read all those, but if you read those, you're going to go, don't forsake the Lord. The Lord has in his heart, you are following me or you are forsaking me. Men create a giant gray area in the middle where they rule, and they say, I have a piece of the Lord, and I have a piece of the kingdom of this world. I mix them together under my control. That's what most Christians do in their life. You cannot do that. That is regarding God as common. God is holy. Remember how upset he got with them in Romans 1 because they did not regard the Creator. God is holy. And this holiness of God is very difficult to get over to us. And, you know, with the children of Israel, God showed them so many signs and wonders, things that could not be done by man, absolutely things that only God could do, so they would see and know of His holiness. And He said, with a strong arm I brought you out of Egypt. And if you looked at what He did to Egypt, 
he went over and over and over and over to show his might and power. And the holiness of God is something that we, we let go by too lightly. If God says it, it's important because God says it. Not whether we understand it, but because God says it. Not whether we agree with it, but because God says it. So the holiness of God was huge, but the heart of God throughout the whole Bible is to bless, to bless his creation. And Jesus emphasized it over and over. He told a parable and he said, he talked about how God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to proclaim release, and yet each one had been killed. The Lord's heart was to bless us. And in the midst of what was happening in the Old Testament, I know God had to feel frustrated, because you all know the Old Testament. To me, it just looks like they don't do well at all. If you look at the kings of Israel, it's hard to come up with three kings of Israel that did a good job. It's hard to get three. You know, you're, you're thinking, well, maybe we'll put Solomon in there. Solomon petered out bad at the end. He had 700 wives and concubines. It could be debated how smart that is. 700 wives and concubines. But Solomon built things in the temple of the Lord that were abominations. And he built them for his wives. And he built things that were to demons. It's very hard to find kings. It's very hard. You know, in the story of Gideon, when they tried to make Gideon king, Gideon said, there shall be no king among us except the Lord our God. And Gideon refused to be king. And when the children of Israel wanted a king, God told them, if you get a king, he's going to take your sons and daughters and put them in the army. He's going to take money from you and tax you. He's going to take these things from you. This is what's going to happen with the king. And they said, we want a king so we can be like the other nations. Isn't that terrible? It was very interesting to me in Deuteronomy 7-7 that the Lord makes a point of saying that the nation that he called was the smallest nation on the earth. The smallest. It wasn't that they were in the lower third. They were the smallest. When God chose to build a nation, he took the very smallest. But the heart of God was that he reveal himself and that he have fellowship with us. We mentioned last week, and I think I have a thing on this, that God's intent is to maximize our fellowship with him, with Jesus, for his glory and our benefit. And Satan's intent is to minimize our fellowship with Jesus. As we go through the Old Testament and we get to Jeremiah, God says, you know something, I'm going to make a new covenant. I've made a covenant based on the law, for which I would have poured out for you tremendous blessing, but you have rejected me even though I am your husband. He says in Jeremiah 31, I am your husband and you have rejected me. But he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, even though you've rejected me. And I'm going to write my law on your hearts. And there will no more be a need for any man to say, know the Lord, for everyone will know the Lord. And the Lord made a new covenant. And one of the reasons that Jesus' coming was such tremendous good tidings of great joy was because he was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. God came and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. And he showed us the nature of God. 
And Jesus showed us. But not only did he show us, but he came to us and made a way that we could be changed from our hearts. Not by performing rituals, not by adding blood offerings, not by the sacrifice of bulls and rams, but he made the one atoning sacrifice that we could be changed from the inside. In Philippians 2.13 it says, For God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, God can change the inside of us so that we desire and will different things. You may say to me, well, as much as I've been a Christian, I just really don't like helping people that can't seem to get it on the first try. I don't have patience. God can change you. God can change me. He does change me. He can change our will. He can change our desire. Somebody comes up to me and said, well, I would like to want Jesus, but I just don't have it in me to go to Jesus. That's good enough. If you want to want Jesus, God can take you from want to want to want. He can take you from wanting to want Jesus to wanting Jesus. He can change our will on the inside. Pretty much he did that for everybody in this room. Because we were very self-centered, heading in another direction, and God came and touched us and melted our hearts and drew us unto him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus is active in drawing people unto him. He is active, and he will draw, and he melts our hearts. I'm going to share something. Don Murphy actually was a big start on this revelation to me, and I want to make sure I give Don credit for this. But, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they had an ark that was made of acacia wood. And so acacia wood is not anything in Amer that America or anybody in Europe would ever build anything out of now. Because if you look at acacia wood, it's just the opposite of what you want. It's just riddled with knots. It's just knots, knots, knots. You can look it up on Wikipedia, look up acacia wood. It's knots, knots, knots. But that's what the Ark of the Covenant was built with. Knotted, imperfect wood. Now that wood was coated with gold. Covered with gold. The imperfect was covered with the perfect gold. And inside of the ark were three things. There was the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. There was manna, and there was Aaron's rod that budded in the ark. Above the ark were two angels, two seraphim. And between the angels was the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would go and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat so that when God looked down through the mercy seat, the presence of God dwelt above the ark. When he looked down, he would look down through the mercy seat. And that was the representation of the old covenant. Now, in the new covenant, we find an interesting thing in the end of John. And that is when Mary goes to the tomb that where Jesus was laid, there was an angel at the head, and an angel at the foot, just like the ark. But this ark was totally different. This ark was the risen Christ. The risen Christ was not the imperfect 
coated with the perfect. The risen Christ was perfect through and through with power to perfect the imperfect. The risen Christ was totally holy with power to change every one of us to be in His image. He Himself was the fulfillment of the law. He Himself was the bread who came down from heaven. And Aaron's rod that budded speaks of resurrection. Aaron's rod was dead, and it budded and produced almonds. But Jesus is the resurrection. So we have the fulfillment of the law, the true bread who came down from heaven, and the resurrection. In reality, in substance, He is the mercy seat. And His blood is the atonement, the propitiation for our sin. Now these things will wipe you out. Because what was before was only a shadow of things to come. And in Colossians, Paul says, I don't want you to sit around and let someone be a judge with you about feast days and moons and the Sabbath. He said, for these things are only a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. You see, He is the real fulfillment. He is not the promise. He is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the fullness of God altogether. And He made it so, instead of covering our imperfect with the perfect of God, now He is making the imperfect perfect. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Philippians 1, 6, For he who began the good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus began the good work, and he continues it until the day of Jesus Christ. It says in, Philippi, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, that's a great verse, but the next verse to me is three times more important. Faithful is he who has called you, and he will do it. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Faithful is God who has called you, and he will preserve your spirit, soul, and body blameless. Our unbelievable God. In Hebrews 12, 2, he says, For Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He began our faith. He finishes our faith. The Bible says that growth comes from God. God made way in the new covenant to take us, the imperfect, and make it perfect. And he does it with his power. And he's asking for our heart and our willingness to constantly welcome him in. When Candy was sharing about, you know, you go through days and you have difficult times and things happen and you have feelings and you go, crud, I don't like it feeling like this. I like it to be a happy feeling. Well, one of the greatest things about God is God is bigger, bigger, bigger than feelings. 
Feelings rise up and down. God is bigger, bigger, bigger than feelings. However, He understands our feelings because He walked as a man. Jesus constantly was careful to refer to Himself as the Son of Man. The Bible says He experienced temptation in every respect as we do. In every respect as we do. He knows what a smashed finger feels like. He knows what it feels like to stub your toe. He knows what it feels like for the enemy to hit you in a weak moment and to tempt you. He knows what those things are. Therefore, he is able to come to our aid as a merciful, understanding high priest. And believe me, he is merciful and understanding. Now, God, I know, has a hard time understanding how can your feelings be a certain way when I am with you? How can your feelings be down when I am with you? If God was just to show us an angel, let's just pick your routine 10-foot angel with a 7-foot flaming sword, okay? So let's just say, well, right here is you know, a 10-foot angel with a 7-foot flaming sword. I dare say that if God let you see an angel standing next to me, 10 foot high, with a 7 foot flaming sword, nobody here would leave the room. We're not going anywhere so long as there's an angel here. Do you know the Bible says that we will judge the angels? Do you notice how many times an angel starts out in the Bible saying, fear not? It's because the glory that surrounds an angel is so great, it petrifies us. Almost every time an angel appears in the Bible says, fear not. That's just the glory of an angel. We do not have an angel living inside of us. We have the spotless Lamb of God who has chosen to dwell within us to be one with us. There just cannot be better news than that. Helen and I went out of town last weekend and we came back. There were a series of things in our house that no longer worked. And I was, you know how you're clever and you say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to save money, I'm not going to get a repairman, I'm going to order a part. And I ordered a part on one thing. We had a chair that reclined and didn't look like the motor was working, but I was going, oh no, I'm going to get on Amazon. I know how to order these parts. And I got this obscure power supply, an oaken something or other, and I went, Good grief, how would you ever find this? But Amazon had it. I went back there, I tinkered, I did everything. I was feeling so good because instead of paying whatever that repair bill would be, I was fixing it. I put that brand new power supply in, started that booger right up. It didn't work at all. I had wasted all that money. I've got two perfectly good power supplies and I have no idea why that thing doesn't work and I'm going to have to call the repairman and pay whatever I'm going to have to call. Now, we had a series of things like that. I think toilet things are worse. And I'm not going to give big toilet examples, but most people in this room have had a toilet example. Okay, one thing I've learned is you cannot go to bed at night if you hear dripping water. You have to deal with it. Dripping water is telltale. But we have things like that. But do you know something? People are watching me and they're watching you to see how we deal with life. Because if the Jesus we talk about is really the treasure in the middle of the field, if he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we have been translated out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his beloved Son, not we will be translated, but we have been translated, and we have. 
then when we're looking at those things, the Son of God is looking at those things. And I want to tell you something. It does not matter squat if I've got to pay $150 to get a repairman to come fix a chair. That does not matter. The Lord of Lords matters. The Lord of Lords matters. In the world, we get frustrated with people because they either minor on the major things or major on the minor things. They either minor on the major things or major on the minor things. We say, well, the tail is wagging the you know, dog. That means the minor thing is we're getting in trouble with instead of the major thing. You know, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, I'd say, Miguel, Miguel doesn't wear ties, but let's just say Miguel, Miguel was wearing a tie and came up to him and said, Miguel, that's a beautiful tie. I think that was really popular in the late 60s. Is that right, Miguel? Are you going to want to talk to that person again? They major on the minor. Have you got me? And other people come up and they go, oh, yeah, God. Yeah, I know about God. Yeah, but you see, I got to get to this movie. I got to get to this. They minor on the major. God is not the major. God is the one that we should be our major. And we should be majoring on the major. Now listen to this. Everything else is minor. Repairs. I've got to go back to that doctor's visit because the doctor told me he'd be there. I got all cleaned up, even took a good shower, and the doctor didn't show up. I've got to go back in a week, and it's his fault. Minor. There was a fire on my back deck when everything got goofed up, the whole fire department game, the whole house smells like smoke, minor. If Jesus really is our treasure, every other encumbrance is minor. And this is why Paul said, I don't count it to be compared. The difficulties we have now compared to the glory that's to be revealed. I don't, it's not even comparable. It's not even in the same league. It's not to be compared. But in our hearts... God is trying to reveal himself, but we can't, it is very hard for us to hold it. Uh, so we talk about things about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus in us. We talk about things like that and we go, these things are hard, hard to understand. It's wonderful that they're hard to understand because you see, our understanding is not the ultimate thing. It's not that we have an understanding of all things of God. It's that we serve the living God. Now, it's nice to have an understanding, and you should definitely read scriptures and learn about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus never came up to somebody and, and that came up to him and wanted to serve him and said, well, you could serve me, but you just only have a third grade education. I don't take people like that. On the contrary, Jesus went the other way. And most of the people he took had only a third grade education. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have chosen to reveal to the unlearned yourself in order to put the wise to shame because the wise of this world are put to shame god does not care what degree you have he doesn't care if you ever went to school i'm advocate go to school but he, that's not a big deal to god doesn't make a deal to god god looks right through all that that's minor god is the major now how can the world see jesus if God is not the major in us who are called to follow him, we have to be lights. We have to be people that when our... My mom tells a story about my grandfather, and it's a great story, but it's not a story you'd like to happen in your life. 
And he was a pastor of a church, and it was not too far from here. And they had a big thing going on Sunday night, and for some reason, he and his wife had the big soup. They had to make soup. And I get the feeling it was kind of in the 10-gallon variety. It was a giant thing you had to do to feed a bunch of people soup. And he had gotten all dressed up, and he was in his suit, and he was the preacher. And he was in his suit and everything, and he was carrying the soup around, and it was, they were going over to the church to get it all done. And he slipped. And 10 gallons of soup fell all over him and his nice suit and everything that was fixed and everything. Now, how would you have responded to that? Think about how you personally would, many, many Christians would say, God, why aren't you on my side? I'm trying to do something for you. Why do you let something like this happen? But he laughed. He laughed. He got up and changed, cleaned it up, went on about things. Because he minored on the minor. He, God was the thing. Spilling soup is not a big deal. Even plumbing obstruction is not a big deal. And I say that having walked through some of it. God is the big deal. But do, does the world see that in us? Does the world see that we recognize Jesus does not allow a circumstance to come in front of us? except he wills it, and he has planted us in the world. You know, in Matthew 13, there are two parables of the sower. There's a parable where the word of God is sown into us, and that's the one that we talk about a lot, and that's the seed on the dry ground and the choking up of the thorns, that parable. Right after that parable is the parable of the sower, and this time, instead of the seed being the word of God and the ground being us, in this parable... We are the seed. Jesus is the sower. And the world is the ground. You see, Jesus sows us. Where we walk, where we talk, who we meet is not incidental. It's, we are sown. When we get that in our minds, then the Lord can do tremendous things with us. But when we have complaining attitudes in our mind, the regular person in the world will look at us and go, Basically not different than me. Bad things happen, you complain. Bad things happen to me, I complain. What is this life in Christ thing? Looks pretty much like me. And God is trying to so change us that we are never like that. But the little things are the little things. Uh, I'll just share a little story on the side. I had a, one of those plumbing things that happened and I had to run out to Home Depot to get a part. Again, I was being all excited because I felt I could fix it. But as I was driving to Homing Depot, I was praying, and it was a complaining prayer. Have you ever had a complaining prayer? Okay, if you're not saying yes, I know you're not very truthful, but I was complaining to God. And I, it was a very eloquent complaining prayer. I said, I opened it this way. There is no possible purpose in the universe that it be that I have to run to Home Depot at a quarter of ten at night and hurry because Home Depot closes at ten, Maybe you didn't know that. That's important. It closes at 10. I had to run there to get something. And I was complaining to the Lord saying, there is no possible purpose. This cannot further your kingdom. Why do I have to be bothered fixing this toilet, Lord? Why do you put this encumbrance there? I'm, I'm, just, I'm willing to follow you, but these things are bothersome. And I listened for the Lord, and the Lord didn't say a thing. And the Lord doesn't talk to me that much. He often doesn't say a thing. But I talked to him a fair amount. 
And I laid out that complaint, and I thought I'd put it in pretty good terms. Well, I walked into the Home Depot, and I was running down the aisle because they were about to close the doors, and I got my little thing that I needed, and I turned to the side, and here was this guy who was loading pieces of, pieces of plywood, four by eight pieces of plywood. He was trying to do it by himself. That's a little bit hard to do. And I think this has happened to some of you. You find yourself kind of walking towards something before your brain told your legs to do it. Have you ever been there? And I just found myself kind of walking towards that guy. And I, I couldn't remember my brain telling my legs to do it, but I was walking. And I just said, you know, do you need any help here? And he goes, yeah, I could really use some help. So I helped this guy load this stuff up and such and such and such. Well, the guy was from Norcross. He turns out to be a wonderful guy. He turns out to be a handyman who's a Georgia Tech engineer that got tired of working inside, and he is a really good handyman. I would say over the next 12 years, that guy came and worked on 15 projects in my house and in members of my family's house. He's a wonderful believer. We prayed with him through all things on the birth of one of his children. We, we just engaged with him in the most marvelous way. There's no way I can see I ever would have met him because he lives in North Norcross, just happened to be there late at night getting an emergency order. And God plugged up my toilet so I could get over there and meet this guy so he could bless me. And what did I do? I gave him an eloquent, complaining prayer. Because, you see, I have tremendous amounts of faith. But, you see, Jesus said, I am sowing you. Is Jesus sowing us? He is sowing us. He picks out where we go, who we're going to see, and we need to be the light of Jesus in that place. And God will make us that way. You see, the fullness of God dwelling within us, we, we don't reckon how wonderful that is. And that's why the Bible keep, has to call it a mystery. That's why I called it the richly glorious mystery in Colossians 1, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the richly glorious mystery. There is no mystery in the Bible described that way except Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's described as richly glorious. Now, if I was getting into riches and glorious, I could, you know, get some people connected to this. I said, well, look, you know, I've got a, just a little investment here. I, I bought Amazon when it first came out. I got 10,000 shares, and this little thing here is worth $30 million. I'm willing to give it to the first person who comes forward. There would be some action. I have $30 million. $30 million is riches. $30 million is nothing compared to the richness of the glory of Christ in me. Nothing. It is nothing. And Christ is trying to open our eyes. Does it ever bother you in the Bible when it says, but they could not see, and God had to open their eyes, but they could not see, and God had to open their eyes. God is trying to open the eyes of all Christians to his glorious majesty, he is trying to open the eyes of all Christians to his wonderful heart. Because God's nature and his heart is love and caring for us, and he is altogether holy. And we're only beginning to get this. And most Christians parcel out God and put them in their God box. God is like this. God does this. You can't depend on God that it won't rain if you're having a meeting. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. This is what they do with God. They tell you about God, but they don't know God. They just tell you these things about. What if I brought you over to my house, and we sat down, and we had a meal, and my wife had just gone through Southern Living and had cut out pages from Southern Living and had put a wonderful picture of food on each plate. 
So one had steak and lobster, one had just this incredible Italian dish, one was this, one was this, and all these things were sitting on the plates. And I sat you down and I said, so glad to have you all here, dig in. Well, you'd look at me and say, Jim, there is no food here. I said, look, you don't know steak and lobster when you see it? Look at that, that's succulent. It's hard for me to say that word, succulent. That's succulent, that's good food. So this is only a picture. This is not the real food, this is a picture. We're all very clear at how the picture is just a shadow, not the substance. Most Christians are dealing with Jesus and the Father at the level of a picture instead of the substance. And that's why it says in 1 John 2 that the difference between young children in Christ and mature people in Christ is that young children know about God and mature people know God. That's why it says in John 17, 3, to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. Most Christians read that and say, oh, I know about Him. It's not knowing about Him. It's knowing Him. And this is hard to take hold of, but Satan knows all about Him. Satan can quote Scripture. He knows tons of Scripture. But to know Him is completely different. It's completely different. And that revelation, and that's why it says in Ephesians 1.17, I pray that our Father give you a spirit of knowledge and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. I pray He give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, excuse me, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Because we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation, we just take the way other people have described it. One of the greatest things about worshiping is you get to a place in worship where you forget about the people that are around you. You're worshiping the Lord, and you, can't, you don't even know who's around you. You're getting connected to the Lord. The Bible says the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In truth is what the heart is saying. Worship Him with your whole heart. And worshiping Him in spirit is very important because you enter a place where God is. That's the likeness of God. God is spirit. And the Lord blesses that. But most of the times we're like airplanes running around on a tarmac that jump 10 feet off the ground and then land again. We just won't take off. And God's saying, I want you to fall into my arms and take off. So these things then are the things of the kingdom. Somehow I've already gone through an hour, so I have to stop. But God is altogether holy, and he has provided the most amazing revelation of himself in the Son, that Jesus be our Lord and King. And from that fellowship, from that relationship with the Lord, we are changed into His image. It's unbelievable that that's the case. But the things that the enemy puts up that try to hold us back is he lowers our vision of the Christ. He gets us involved with minor things and call minor things major things. He lets little things that happen in our life, like our house burning down, be a big thing. Compared to Jesus, losing your house is nothing. Now, I say that I don't want to lose my house. I have a lot invested in that house. But we have got to give him the glory due his name. And we tend not to give him the glory due his name. Sometimes when Jesus tries to get into a conversation, Christians have to look around to see if it's Jesus' turn to speak. Because the plan goes this way. And if Jesus wants to get in, well, 
is, is, are we ready for him to be in? That is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But God is trying to change us so we're not like that. Now I want to tell you what's going to happen on the earth here. God is revealing Jesus as both power and wisdom. And there's going to be more demonstration of power, like in Jesus' time. But there are going to be people who, because power is there, are going to hate you more. Because it shows that the living God is real. And they hate that there be the real living God. But there is coming on the earth a greater demonstration of Jesus as power and wisdom. Jesus as power and wisdom, and it's coming. So I want to close, I'm going to close with a prayer from me and let Miguel, Brother Miguel come and lead us. But I want just to say this. This calling of God into his kingdom is serious, but it is marvelous. And it is beyond the knowledge of man. God is higher and more wonderful. And he's trying to bring us up into that place. And that's why we are called sons and daughters of the Most High. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for being gracious to take the price that our sins be forgiven, that the veil be ripped open, that now we have access into the presence of the Most High. We don't know what we're talking about when we say access into that presence, but you do. We do not want these words to be ideas to us, Lord, but we want these words to move inside of us that we truly touch you. That we're not lights in theory, but we are lights in action. And we are not seven watts, but we are a hundred watts. And that we don't complain because there is no complaint in us. That we have joy because you are our joy. Lord, we don't know how to make all these things happen within us, but it is our heart's desire. And we don't need to know how, for you provide the growth, Lord. We know you do. Now I ask, Lord, you stir hearts. Stir my heart. Stir every heart here. Have us move in the direction you want us to be. That your name be glorified on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.